Welcome to the Restoration Living Podcast with our host, military chaplain and spiritual care director, James Johnson. With so many voices in this world fighting for our attention, it's easy to believe that we aren't good enough, that our past will always haunt us, and that we will never measure up. But the voice of God is telling us that we can live a life of restoration in Him. Our Heavenly Father doesn't want us to let our past decisions determine our present peace. Instead, He wants us to find that life of restoration in Him. So grab your Bibles and join us as we dig into God's Word to discover timeless truths and proper application for our lives today. Twelve years ago, life was pretty sweet. We were sitting in a really nice position. The the job world was going great. We were, you know, working as teachers. We had um, young children. You know, it was we had been in the Army Reserves for a few years, uh, and I, we were serving in a local church. I was an associate pastor in, and everything was just going wonderful. I was, you know, had my time managed, and everything was going great. And then the Lord shook us up by calling me to stop being a human resources specialist in the army and to become a chaplain. And that whole process kind of, like I said, shook up our family dynamic because the original plan was to do, you know, a few years uh, in the reserve so we could feel like, you know, we know freedom's not free, but we wanted to do our small part. And you know, really kind of keep our, our normal life just super simple, you know, work, army, church, family, all that good stuff. But when God really opened our hearts to the ministry and the mission work of being a military chaplain, all of that kind of changed. And as I, you know, enrolled in graduate school to go to seminary to, you know, work on all these, all these years, it took, you know, four years of school to, to accomplish that, that, you know, it meant nights away from my family, studying and writing papers and reading books. It meant, you know, going to military schools and trainings to learn how to be a military chaplain in the army. It meant, um, you know, putting extra stress and strain on our schedule, on our family, on our church life, all of these things were done in the name of following where God was calling us, where God was leading us. God had put a desire in our hearts and a call on our lives. But one of the things that not only added to this, but also caused a fear dynamic was a continual strain of conversations that were coming from the army chaplain leadership that were telling me that that I was doing things the wrong way that going to school online so we could stay in our hometown and in our home and in our careers was setting us up for failure that there was no way i was going to a session as a chaplain if i went to an online school and uh, the the ordaining body that was endorsing me was incredibly common and on top of that my gender and my race were part of the majority of chaplains in the military nothing was causing me to stand out and i was running a really strong risk of doing all of this work for nothing and I'll never forget is that fear kind of overtook me and, you know, kind of anxiety got a hold of us. I reached out and asked if I could speak to someone with some wisdom and experience in this whole chaplain accessioning process of what it was, uh, what it was to become a chaplain in 
the army and I got a call back from a full bird colonel and if you're not familiar with the military that's about as high as you can get the only thing higher than a colonel in the army is a general and those are next to impossible to get on the chaplain side of the house so this guy was very important very um, high stationed high rank and he was actually the commander and, and head of the accessioning process for army chaplains and i told him i was like sir didn't didn't mean to waste your time and he said no no no. i'm the perfect person for you to talk to and i just poured out my fears and my worries and my anxieties to him and after after a little while of him letting me vent he, he said you know johnson because in the in the military we call each other by our last name he said you know lt johnson you are okay he said i want to tell you this and he said don't ever forget this if god leads you to it he'll lead you through it if God leads you to it, he will lead you through it. And that was such a powerful truth in my life that if God truly was leading us into this process, then he was going to lead us through it. He was going to be there with us the whole time. He was going to open doors and make a way and ensure that everything worked out. And, you know, over the years of, of 15 years in the military so far with hopefully a long time to go and, you know, 12 years of that being a chaplain, God has always proven faithful that every time he has called us to something, man, he's led us through it, not just in the military, but in other areas of our lives as well. But there is just something in our hearts that no matter how many times God comes through, no matter how many times miracles happen and providence happens and God works the, the situation out for us. Even if it's painful and a struggle, God ultimately always works these things out for our good. That's the promise of Romans chapter 8, that God has been faithful. And I want to look today at a passage that really allows us to see this in action, to give us some principles of how we can look at our situation and hold on to that promise that if God leads us to it, he's going to lead us through it. No matter what people say, no matter what our circumstances say, no matter what our hearts may say and our feelings or our emotions, God is faithful. So, So turn with me in your Bibles to... Exodus chapter 14. And for most of us, this is a familiar passage that if you grew up in church or saw the movies, the, the Christian movies, maybe even you know the, the very famous and beautiful work, The Prince of Egypt, you're familiar with God parting the Red Sea. And, and to be real with you, I really couldn't wrap my brain around it. I'd seen pictures and I'd seen the movies and the cartoons, but it wasn't until I actually saw the Red Sea for myself that I just recognized how much water is in the Red Sea. And I know that, that some traditions say, oh, it's supposed to be the Reed Sea, not the Red Sea. I don't, I don't know where the name came from. But as I went snorkeling in the Red Sea in that body of water, Back in 2020, when I was deployed with the Middle East in the Middle East with the Army, I was so blessed uh, to get to travel around and, and go there. And they took us to the beach and, and let us, you know, have a, a leisure day snorkeling, you know, out in the Red Sea. It was such a beautiful experience. I remember thinking, this is the spot where historically, according to the Bible and according to archaeologists and tradition, this is where God parted the Red Sea. It's not a creek, it's not a stream, it's a massive body of water. 
And so as we look at this idea, we're not talking about a little miracle here. We're talking about a major, massive miracle that God did, and he did it to preserve his people. And so in Exodus chapter 14, this is the context we find the scriptures in, and we always read the Bible in context, right? Context is the key to interpreting the Bible properly. We say that fairly often. We always want to twist our beliefs to fit the Bible. We never want to twist the Bible to fit our beliefs. So in order to make sure we've got the context, we have to look at what's going on in the situation. Moses and Aaron and the other leaders have been gifted by God to perform his miracles, and God sends plagues and many other miracles to try to open the hearts and minds of Pharaoh and his leaders to convince them to let the Hebrew slaves go. The Hebrews are God's people, and God has a covenant with them that he needs to preserve. And we know this from other messages and sermons that we've done here on this podcast, that we've seen how God's plan to redeem and restore his family is through the people of Israel, that God created his own nation out of Abraham and used the nation of Israel to restore all of humanity back to him that through Israel the entire world now has access to return to the family of God. So this is important that the Hebrews are slaves and God wants to free them to bring them to that promised land that he promised to Abraham so many years ago. And so as we look at Exodus 14 the the Hebrew slaves have been freed and they are leaving but God says this to Moses starting in verse 1 of chapter 14 then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pihahirath between Migdal and the sea camp there along the shore across from Baal Zephon then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused they are trapped in the wilderness and once again I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. So Moses gets told this by God, and the people are faithful. God has led them to this position of all the places they could go, because there is a land route from Africa to you know, what we consider, you know, Italy and Europe and all of these places, right, to to, to the the Asian Peninsula, right, the Arab Peninsula, excuse me, the Arabian Peninsula, that there's, there's to get to the promised land, to get to Sinai, there is a land route to this, but God doesn't lead them that way. God leads them to the sea, to the Red Sea, and he says, this is what I'm going to do to show my glory. But as we look and see, God gives them the promise and they're faithful to it, but then their lives get shaken up. Everything's going great until Pharaoh and his army shows up. Pharaoh, if you read through, we're not going to read all of these verses. You can read them for homework, but going from verse 5 all the way down to, you know, verse 13, God is, um, you know, moving the people to, to, to be camped by the sea, and they do just what he says. But then the Israelites see the Egyptians bring their army. So let's look at this. It says that um, 
verse 10. Let's actually read that because that gives us a little bit more uh, of the situation. It says, As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Now, when we say wilderness, we're not talking trees and grasses and forests and jungle. We're talking desert and rocks and sand and barren, empty heat. That's the wilderness in the Middle East. Why? Or so it says, weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Why have you done, to, what have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt, <laughs> right? They, they are feeling the pressure. They are scared. They thought God was going to protect them. And now it looks like they're going to die. And it's really easy to get on the Israelites because of their lack of faith. But after all, God just freed them. They have lived as slaves for a very long time. And for generations, they have not seen the miracles. For generations, they have not had God's presence with them. And so their trust is low, which means their faith is low. And so it's easy to get on to the Israelites throughout their the early years of their history and even later years, but they have not seen enough of God to trust him yet. And so look at what happens at verse 13. Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Now, if we stayed right here, this is a pretty comfortable position to be in. Moses is telling the people, you don't have to do a thing. You don't have to lift a finger. God's going to do all of the work. And if we're not careful, this passage of scripture is a wonderful verse to cherry pick, like Jeremiah 29, 11 and many others. We love in our comfortable Christianity to cherry pick this verse. I've seen this used so many times for people to say, hey, we don't have to do anything. God's going to do everything. Just sit back and relax. God's going to do everything. Be still. The Lord will fight for you. Another translation puts it, right? Don't do anything. God does everything. But that's not how God operates. God is totally capable. And at certain times, yes, God has done things on his own. But the overwhelming majority of the time, I would say well over 95% of the time, God partners with people to accomplish his purposes. That is God's trend. That is God's status quo. That God always partners with people, you know, in, in I can't say always, the majority of the time, God partners with people to accomplish his purposes. It lo he loves to do that. That's how he loves to operate. And that's why if we stopped at verse 14, that's a wonderfully comfortable place to stop. And I could spin this, right? I could skip over some verses and say, look, God did all the work. And God parted the Red Sea and God closed the Red Sea on the Egyptians and saved Israel. But the, the people of Israel, God's people, the, the, the Hebrew slaves that have just been freed, and even Moses as their leader, if we look at what the scripture actually says, we see there's a difference between what Moses says and what God says. Moses tells the people, be still, don't do anything. But look at what God says in verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. You see, God is going to do the miracle, but he's going to do it through people. God parts the sea, but he does it through Moses. When Moses raises his hand and his staff, that's when 
it happens when the people get moving that's when the miracle happens you see if god leads us to it he'll lead us through it but god makes us part of the process the red sea did not part until moses and the people got involved that's how god operates and it's really easy in our comfortable christianity to sit back and say god you're going to do all this god you're going to work it all out god you're going to be the, the miracle worker and yes he is when we sing those praise songs god you are waymaker miracle worker promise keeper light in the darkness you know my god that's who you are that is all true but god loves to partner with people to accomplish his purposes that's how he does it and so if we stop at verse 14, that's a bad theological principle. Because so many times we sit back and, you know, I mean, how foolish would it be? Think about it in real life. Heaven forbid, and I love my job. God, I don't ever want to lose this job, but let, I've, I've lost my job before. And many people in our area right now are going through tough times and, and factories are closing and things are happening. So this is a reality for a lot of people. It's been a reality in my family's life before too where the unexpected happens and you lose your job, you lose your financial position. What if I just came home and sat on the couch and said, I'm going to be still. God's going to fight for me. He's going to bring the job he wants my way. I'm not going to move a muscle. I'm going to sit on this couch and wait for the phone to ring, wait for that email, and God's going to make it happen. You'd say, James, that's foolishness. Right? You need to do your part. I need to take a shower. I need to shave my face and get my hair cut. I need to put on my, my nice you know, suit or dress clothes or whatever, get my resume together, do the applications, beat the street, shake the hands, do the interviews, right? And then trust God to, to do his part. But I have my part to do. You have your part to do. That's how the faith works. It's not sitting back and saying, oh God, you're doing everything. It's God, I do my part and then you do what only you can do. I do my best, I trust you with the rest. You see, if God leads you to something, he is going to lead you through it, but we have to do our part. Then look what happens. God does two amazing miracles. It says, you know, that um, let's skip on down. If as they, It says then in verse 21, then Moses raised his hand over the sea. Moses did his part and the Lord opened up. See, that's what happens. Moses acted, then God acted. Moses raised his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. Now, we often miss it, but there's a second miracle that's happening here. Yes, God is parting this massive body of water so the, the people can walk through this, you know, some historians say over a million people were, were part of the Hebrew group here. But even if it's just one person, this is still an amazing miracle that God parts the sea and allows people to walk through it. But there's a second miracle that's just as important that, that we notice that God not only parts the Red Sea, he also makes the wind blow all night to make the ground dry. I don't know if you've ever tried to drag a, a wagon or, or, or something like that on wet sand. It's hard stuff. Or even, you know, loose sand, like at the beach. If you get a, um, you get a well, you know, wagon and you've got kids and you've got the umbrellas and the chairs and the towels and the sunscreen and the toys, and you've got that heavy wagon and you're dragging it through this wet sand, man, it's hard. But it's a whole lot easier to drag it through dry sand on dry ground. And rather than all this wet, muddy mushiness that would have been the ground, God 
causes not just the water to part, but the, the ground to dry as well. So the people can take their carts and their chariots and their livestock all across on dry ground. And it says that in verse 22, So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. God led them to it. And then when everything seemed like it was lost, he led them through it. God is faithful. And so as we look at this, what do we do with this, right? That, that as we look at this whole section, that we've got to say, man, what do we do with it? James, this is a great story. How do I apply it to my life? Well, one of the things that we see is that God is going to be faithful to keep his promises. And as we see this whole process unfold, God tells them to go to that place. They're faithful to do it. And then when all hope seems lost, God leads them through it. And so the first thing we have to do is what can we learn from this? The first thing is we need to do just as the Israelites did. We need to listen to God's voice. Had they not been listening to God's voice, they would not have known where to go. God speaks to us. Sometimes, yes, he gives us audible voices. We get those burning bush moments. The Holy Spirit may, may speak to you or shoot, if you're blessed enough, you may even hear an audible voice from God. I've met people that have received that before. But most of us hear from God by reading his word. God's word gives us a way of life. And when God speaks to us and we live life his way, when we read his word, we know what to do. That God tells us how to have relationships with other people, to, to, to operate church communities, to be good workers and employees and business leaders, and even fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, all of this. God gives us a way of life in his scripture, and we need to be willing to read his word, to know what his will is for our life. The Israelites listened to God's word, and they obeyed it, even when it didn't make sense. Then, when they got shaken up, and while they may not have trusted God in the beginning, they still cried out. They still sought the Lord. It said that they cried out to the Lord. When you and I go through these shake-up moments of life, when fear creeps in, when things don't look like they're going the way they should, we cry out to God and we pray. And we say, God, where are you? I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to be able to see where you're moving so I'm following you. And if you read part of the passage that we skipped over, it actually says that God's presence was with them. Just This is the first time we see the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, that God's presence is with his people. And they get, I can't imagine what comfort that gave them to say we are in the very presence of God. We are in the right place. It didn't change their circumstance. It did not make life hunky-dory immediately. But it did give them the reassurance that they were where God wanted them to be. Immediately, your situation may not change. When I've lost my job before, I didn't immediately get a job that same day. It took time. When my wife had breast cancer, it didn't immediately solve itself in a moment. It took time and medical procedures and follow-ups and all of those things. It takes time. But we knew where God's presence was and that he was going to work in and through our situation. He led us to it and he was going to lead us through it. So first, we listen to God's voice. Second, we are faithful to look for his presence. And number three, we do what he tells us to do. We do our part. The Israelites went to the location. 
they did what Moses told them to do. Moses did what he was told to do, stretched out his hand and his staff, and then God did the miracle. Then God did his part. You see, we have to be faithful to do our part first. Whatever God calls us to do, if there's a broken relationship, God wants restoration, but we have to do our part to do reconciliation, to reach out and say, I'm sorry, I want to reconnect with you. If we end up having a lost job, we've got to do our part to put out the resumes, to do the interviews, to, to, you know, to go through the doors and talk to the people. If I'm having a health situation, I've got to be faithful to go to the doctor and, and listen to, to what the prognosis is. And ultimately, yes, I trust in God, but I've also got to work through people too. I do my part and you do your part to be faithful. So how do we apply this to our life as we review this situation, it gives us a model. We Number one, we listen for God's voice. Number two, we stay in his presence where he guides us. And number three, we do our part. So all these years later, obviously, you know the story. I'm a military chaplain. In that season of fear and the unknown, we just say, God, we're going to be faithful. Because here's what would have happened. Had I not have accessioned as a chaplain, my schooling would have all fallen on us. And that was a very expensive bill that would have come our way. That it would have been all the hard work for for nothing to happen. It would have meant going back to the old position and maybe not even having the position in the military that we used to have. All of these things were up in the air. But God was faithful and he led us through what he called us to. He called us to become military chaplains. And then he led us through the process. And when I got that phone call from my, you know, recruiter that said, LT, you got it. They, they selected you. It was a moment of worship to say, God, you let us through. I love this verse from the book of Deuteronomy. And I imagine years later, Moses was given this word and he shared it with the people. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9, it says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, Yahweh is God, and he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. God is faithful. He is a promise keeper. And if he leads you to it, you can rest in that fact that God will lead you through it. How do we do that? Those three things, one more time. Listen to the voice of God. Make sure you're in the presence of God. And we do that through prayer and worship and looking at our life circumstances. So we listen to the voice of God. We make sure we're in the presence of God. And number three, we do our part. Whatever God calls us to do, whatever that action is, even if it seems crazy, even if it sounds weird, even if it feels uncomfortable, even if it's scary, we still do it. And I love this part as we go to the end when God was faithful and the waters came back together. It says this in verse 31, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. You see, when you go through these trials, God uses them to build your faith. And God does not cause our trials. God does not test us and, and, and punish all these things. Now, now, there are consequences to our actions. Don't get me wrong. But God does not put us in trauma. 
but he will use our trauma, our trials, and our tribulations to grow our faith. And that's exactly what happened to the Israelites, and it's what happened to my family. Time and time again, God has led us to it, and he's led us through it. He's called us to do things, and he's also led us through those things. That one situation is just one of many examples in my life. And as a result, our faith has grown, and we can trust in him. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I want to reassure you with that promise that God is the faithful God. He is a promise keeper. He keeps his covenant to a thousand generations for those who follow after him. And if you're wrestling today in your life and you're struggling, you're saying, James, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm so scared. I'm so anxious. I'm so fearful. That's okay. God is going to be faithful. And if God leads you to it, he's going to lead you through it. And you can take that to the bank every single time. No matter what the circumstances look like to the people of Israel, this, it, it looked hopeless. The Egyptian army on one side, the, the Red Sea on the other, there was no way out. But as the song, I love in the, in the, the movie, The Prince of Egypt, there's the song that says, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. So as we look at this, you can trust him. God. He's trustworthy. If he leads you to it, he will lead you through it. Let me close in prayer and ask a blessing on your life today. King Jesus, we thank you for the promise of your word, for the example and the testimony thousands and thousands of years later that you are faithful. That just as we saw with Moses and the Israelites, as you called them out of Egypt and you told them to go to the Red Sea, you knew the Egyptian army was going to come after them and you knew you were going to part the Red Sea, even though the people didn't know yet, even though Moses didn't know. They just had to do those three things. They listened to your word, they made sure to stay in your presence, and they did their part. So God, help us to do those three things as well in our lives, to read your word, to listen to your voice, to stay in your presence, and to do our part, trusting in your faithfulness, knowing that if you lead us to it, you're going to lead us through it. So I pray a blessing on the people within the sound of my voice. Everyone who hears these words, listens to this podcast, and, and that they would know you are a faithful, loving God. And that if you lead us to it, you're going to lead us through it. Lord, I pray a blessing on these men and women that you would bless them and keep them to make your face to shine on them today, to lift your countenance up to them and give them your peace. Amen. Be blessed. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We pray that God uses it to inform your mind, improve your life, and ignite your heart with a renewed passion to impact others for the kingdom of God. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you can continue along with us on this journey of restoration living.